You're both dickheads. He's not wrong. Hello and welcome. I'm Steve. And I'm Al. And I'm Brett. And this is Fools with Tools, a podcast for the Wobbly Watchmaker. Uh, so, guys, what has everyone been up to, Al? Um, I went fishing. Yes, you did. And I caught some trout, and then I yes, smoked the trout, and then I ate the trout. And it in that order, delicious. It was good. And yeah, I did fly fishing for the first time, which is oh nice, very, very interesting, very different. Where was that to? Much more involved uh, into a lake full of fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just. I didn't know you had many lakes in Leeds. There's some. <laughs> They're more ponds. Yeah. Lake I, ponds. I, I wouldn't want to fish in them. It's not like the Lake District, which is actually... How many lakes are in the Lake District, Steve? Uh, seven. Nope. <laughs> Twelve. Nope. 38? No, he's Googling it right now. One lake in the Lake District. Oh. Is it like a really long lake or something? Nope. They're just none of the others are lakes. It's a terrible okay. name for a district full of lakes. There's only one lake. What are the rest? Puddles. Waters or, or um, mirrors. But yeah, there's, the only actually, there's only actually one lake. What's what's a water if it's not a... Like Ullswater. Lake? Yeah, but what? surely that's a lake if it's a no, big it's body a, of water, water larger than a pond. And grass mirror is a mirror. Well. Welcome, welcome to, to podcast, Lake Talk. Everyone. Welcome to Lake Talk. <laughs> Lake night talk. Uh, cool. I, I yeah. don't really know where to go from there. It's, a, it's a good. It's a good skill. Yeah, teach them how to fish and all that. Yeah. Anything else you got up to this weekend, or just just that? Uh, this week, bit of bit, bit of admin and that. <laughs> no. Cool. Riveting. <laughs> uh, anything more interesting than oh, do you what than fucking fly fishing? I bet there's podcast <laughs> about that. Probably is. entire podcast where they talk about it. Probably a podcast about woodwork is about to be podcast. Tend to like when to release when you do like a flop cast oh. versus like the full back. Yeah, now he's talking. Oh, I got to beat fish to death over the head with a stick. Is that better? No, it's a bit morbid. It's but... oh. Two, Brett. Two to be sure. <laughs> three for fun. Right. Uh... <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, I've been moving a lot of heavy stuff over the last week, including the vice today. I'm going to work backwards because my brain's frazzled. Uh, yes, since last we recorded, I went to a little blacksmith fundraiser hammer in about an hour south of here and met a couple of the local blacksmith guys that I had not met in person, but had been chatty through instagram and socials and whatnots and it was really really nice to get to meet them and it was a fundraiser for a family who who lost the father and husband uh who was a blacksmith really well-known blacksmith in the area so that all the fundraising and attendance was going to support the family which was awesome um then coming back i started work on my next project which is the old buffalo forge company forging table oh uh, yeah it's, i saw the post on instagram earlier on yeah it's it's just a beautiful old piece of history that is a it's a usable forge pan it's it's very similar to the one that chris cash has it's the smaller size um and i've been batting around the idea ever since andrew alexander showed up 
and started calling me princess because I have long hair and it's a one-to-one distinction. If you have long hair, you are a princess. Um, I can't wait to meet him. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. Um, but ever since I found out that there were two different sizes of it that are both bigger, I figured this would be the princess forge since it's not the king or the queen. Nice. Um, that was six hours of wire wheeling and massaging and dumping rust removers on the thing because it was sitting out and it had to have been sitting out in this field of this guy's junk lot where he has old tools and good stuff in some containers but the forge table was sitting outside for god knows how long because it's it's very pocked out and rusted and it was just it was in disarray and there was a gigantic crack running from the pot area where the pot goes all the way to the edge so it was clack cracked completely through and it was my first time welding cast iron, which, Ooh. oh boy, yeah. let alone, let alone like new cast iron. This was cast iron that had been sitting out and was rusted. And like, I ground it and tried to make a clean surface and good Lord, like talk about stick welding for the maybe fifth time on material that I totally shouldn't have. It was a really fun time yesterday, but we got it welded together. Nice. Um, And then. Like that thing weighs 400 pounds. So that was, that was a lot of moving around because we brought it to the main shop and I'm working on it over in the barn. So that was fun to just go on my lonesome and, uh, move that thing around. It's been fun. Uh, we got the vice, the big 275 pound vice that Jim's working on moved over to the machine shop so he can start his actual machining and finishing on it, which I'm, I'm well excited to see because it is, it's like the, the week of, old tools or the last couple of weeks have been a lot of refabbing and refurbishing of old stuff, stuff that still has its use after all of these years and should absolutely hold up for another hundred or two years if it's taken care of. And, uh, you know, I plan on oil finishing the outside of the forge table. So it'll really hold up. Well, we'll have it here for your class, Steve. So you'll be able to work on the forge. I've just got to build the pot and exhaust systeming and stuff for it but it's all just like simple fabrication but shit i've never done before like everything um but i'm excited because it's like the first i I think this would legitimately be the first piece that i take that i could call a restoration yeah or like the conservation of the piece because it was broken it was absolutely unusable as it stood. There's not even all the parts to it. And this feels like the first time that I've been able to, this is it's probably the heaviest thing I've ever done too. Cause said and done after I get all the metal parts fabricated for the pot and everything, it's probably going to add an extra hundred pounds to it. Yeah. So it's just going to be interesting to have this big piece of kit that I feel like I, I rescued from a junkyard and it's still, it's so beautiful. It still has all the markings on the outside. There's like, mm-hmm. A couple little marred up sections in the back, but for the most part, it is just a beautiful piece that the guy had sitting underneath a bunch of junk. And when Andrew and Chris were here, I actually saw it when Jess and I went there when she was when she was up last time. Uh, I saw it and I remember pointing at it and go, oh, that's cool, Forge. But it was covered in like gross. So I didn't really investigate. But Andrew and Chris both saw it when they went. And we're like, well, that's a beautiful piece of something that needs to be rescued. And I was like, cool, I'll get it. And the guy cut us a really good deal on it because he sells his stuff for 
pretty expensive, like market value level. And we, we were like, dude, there's a gigantic crack in it and there's mm-hmm. no extra pieces to it. Like, please, just for the love of God, lower the price because he was asking a decent bit. So it's all welded together. That's going to be the main focus for the next week. I'm also finishing up the pendants, the forged jewelry stuff. Nice. Nice. I batted around for way too long, not executing because I just went into full like, I'm not a jewelry maker. I don't know how to do any of this. And then I just stopped myself from from moving forward. So with a little help from from basically Jess just telling me I needed to fucking do it and get it over with. I was like, all right, you're right. Sorry. But she helped me. uh, We sat on the phone the other night because she used to tie lures for her father. Call back. She used to do all the ties and yeah, to your trout story. And so she was throwing barrel knot, barrel knots together to show me how to do like the little clasp systeming stuff. So I got to learn a, a new little skill from a from a lure maker. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's been a decent week. Just lots of running around and whatnots. Steve, tell me about your life for the last five days. Uh, I have been in a field for the last five days. Um, basically, as soon as the last episode was recorded, I then quickly edited it and put it out and then left to go to Port Elliot Festival. Um, so I've just spent five days uh, enjoying being uh, a blacksmith in a field. It's been great fun. Um Woo-hoo! Yeah, we did we did some some good demonstrations. It was quite a nice one because uh we had like whereas normally we do uh have a go sessions and they're kind of uh unbooked so people just come up as and when and you know sometimes it can be like a um make a central where there's a constant queue and we're just on it all day. Uh and other times it can be kind of a bit stop and starty. Um but this one was quite nice because we had uh set workshops for every day that were pre-booked. Um before the festival even opened um, and they were hour long workshops. So we kind of had like a bit more free time. Um, so we got to play around with a few things. I made my first arrow ahead, which was quite fun. Nice. Um, and leading on from that, got to play a little bit more with uh, like the, so with the arrow ahead, you make a, a socket. Um, and uh, I played around with that technique a little bit more to create a, like a, it's a very, classic kind of timeless sort of style of uh candle holder um sometimes known as a like a, a viking candle holder um so i got to play with that which was good fun um it's similar sort of thing as like making a shovel similar uh, sort of like basically flat it out wrap it around yeah for a wooden handle yeah, yeah. um or like or, a re- or, I've seen, or I, think I've seen axe, I think i've seen axes like that uh yeah so you get you get socketed uh axes but that's a different technique that usually involves uh a lot more forge welding and ah, right. um, speaking of forge welding we actually did uh we did a couple of demos including uh making a damascus billet um which yeah uh which was it was great fun because we got to do this uh damascus thing we spent like a, the first couple of days like bigging up the fact that we were going to be doing a uh a damascus demonstration and uh, <laughs> what was that <laughs> Don't worry about it. If you hear Jeff Fader's voice in the background, <laughs> I may have gotten a text message. I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, we spent uh, 
a couple of days like bigging up the fact that we were going to be doing this uh, Damascus demonstration and um, then spent the first 10 minutes of the demonstration talking about why Damascus is actually, it's very pretty, but it's not a great material to actually make things with. Um, and uh, yeah, and then leading on from that, we uh, we got to see a couple of other guys doing demonstrations, um, including uh, the hunter-gatherer cook. Um, nice. We got to see him do a uh, like butcher a roe deer. And it was really nice because that deer was shot uh, like six days before the festival. Um, and he picked it up on his way down from an 86-year-old woman who, uh, in her retirement, just goes deer stalking. So he turned <laughs> up, at, at, like, as you do, he turned up at her door and there's this like little old lady with a walk-in stick. And, uh, and he's like, oh, I, apparently you've got a deer for me. And he's like, oh, yeah, come this way, dear. Goes into the chiller, opens up the chiller, and there's like 30 deer in there. And he was like, did, did, did you shoot all of these? And she was like, yeah, I, I shot those three this morning. Oh my so God. Um, I've, Who uh, is this woman and why isn't she more well-known? Yeah, I, I'm, I've i got her number off of, uh, <laughs> off of Nick because that means that I can then go pick up like an entire deer for like 50 quid as opposed to paying 30 quid just for some steaks in I mean, you know how you know how most people are, are, are like, hey, I, I wonder if you know anybody that has access to these things. They're like, yeah, 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 I know a guy. Yeah. I know an 86-year-old woman. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, so with uh with that, it was quite nice because he uh he did this um this butchery thing, but then uh they they only had time to cook a very small amount of the actual deer. So we did a bit of bartering, um, which is something that we really like doing because we we kind of like going back to that sort of um, that time of bartering for goods rather than like having. But it's one at six. Sorry, <laughs> I, I it's a candy actually... dish, Ned. Ninety dollars. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, it was really nice. We got to we got to do a bit of that, uh, traded some goods in that, um, and ended up with um, both of the haunches and um, some some of the ribs as well um and then got to uh do some fire chefing as laura nice. calls it and uh and yeah cook the um cook the rest of the venison on the on one of the forges uh just chuck some wood in and got that going um but that was really nice because we then had loads of people coming around and like watching us as we were forging whilst cooking venison and, and everything else and then and lo- lots of people again kind of bartering and coming up and being like oh well if I go get you a bottle of red wine, can I have a bit <laughs> of that? Yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> so me and Al proceeded to get more and more drunk as we were cooking this venison, and it was delicious. We used an entire packet of butter as well. Um, but yeah, so we, were, we cooked it all on fire, which, again, I think I, I spoke about it in the, the questions episode. Like, I really like um, cooking things over fire because it's just it gives it that extra flavour and, and everything else. And it's quite a, a a timeless way of cooking things because uh, that's how it all started, and it's still very very popular now. Which links very nicely into our subject this week of timelessness, which Al is going to talk about because <laughs> <laughs> when I asked him what the t- the subject meant, he just went, "Oh, pretty." You, know, you do the segues, and then you just pass it back. Yep. But you weren't that impressed with my. My fish I cooked over fire. 
I was very impressed with your fish. Rubbish. I was just taking the piss out of you. Have you done anything more interesting? No, it's just the fact that you just, you said it and then just stopped. I've been fucking busy. Are you done now? Um, Yes. With, I think, uh, you know, Brett's recent endeavours into a little bit of restoration um, and visits from people like Andrew and Eric up to to Jimmy's. Um, I think it's, very much a, a, a topic that we like as makers of, of kind of not necessarily dwelling in the past, but um, or holding on to things, you know, we've been mocked for kind of having a punch on for a dead art. But I think it's, it's not that we're, uh, we're, we're kind of reminiscing or um, being nostalgic. I think the fact that a lot of the things we like are timeless because they don't age and they, they, they're still relevant, you know, regardless of, of what, has come to replacement. I think there's 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 timelessness all around us, and I think it's a really valid um, part of what we do. I think I think things that um, age well or still hold the test of time, are fantastic. You know, um, you know, even in my sort of professional arena, um, we're always t- going back to traditional techniques, and not not because it's like um, it's niche; it's because you can tell it and you, it it works and 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 sometimes you actually need to you know the, the the amount of people we we hire you know in a freelance capacity or externally that are illustrators yeah and they all just use computers and tablets and styluses and the amount of times i'm kind of like oh oh is that illustrating i suppose it is but I, i'm always slightly slightly disappointed because it's not you know what yeah. i would deem illustration which is you know, pencil or pen and ink or charcoal or some form of kind of organic analog uh, approach. And it's not, yeah, and it's yeah. not, it's not, it's not like a, a romantic thing. Like I'm not saying, Oh, there's no place for fucking digital approaches or anything, but you can tell like until we get past the kind of uncanny Valley thing. And I can tell when it's a digital illustration, I still want actual fucking illustration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just want to ask a, a, and this is a, a genuine question. This isn't for the benefit of the audience. This is just something I want to know. Um, so when you when you talk about uh, going back and using um, uh, like classic techniques and, th- and yeah. things like that, do you find that occasionally it's good to use something that is um, that is timeless? That is because it's then instantly recognisable. People have an association with that, so they can yeah. you know they can recognise that font and they instantly go, ah, oh, that's a that's a serious font or that's a silly font or whatever. And <laughs> there's that, that kind of, um, I don't know the fucking word. Like, like there's, there's almost like a history to, to that, that particular style or that design or whatever. So people know that, or the people associate that with, um, with certain qualities. I think so. Yeah. I think there's two sides. So I think there's definitely that the challenge with that is that it requires like a level of education. So you in order for people to, to to already know it and appreciate it, it's quite hard. But take something like screen printing, for example. So Brett, you you did the um, the screen printing setup at Laura's to to make those posters. Like you couldn't have done that digitally, and you wouldn't have had the nuances, and you wouldn't have had the the imperfections and the the tactility and the kind of the way the ink sits on the paper. Everyone knows how those posters are made you know even if you don't really understand screen printing you can kind of appreciate that they are hand done um without any knowledge without any prior understanding so you don't have to know the 
the exact ins and outs of it. Um, so yeah, to your point, Steve, things like typography, you know, yes, it's nice when people appreciate the effort that goes in. <laughs> you know, oh, you, oh, that's fucking hand set. You know, you can tell yeah. that, that somebody's done that. Um, the same with like carving and stuff, you know, versus you could just whack someone through the CNC. But to actually appreciate somebody's hand carved, that's like, what fucking hell? That, you know, I give a shit, but I think relying on that that level of pre-understanding, I think is dangerous, especially as, you know, arts die out and generations move on. There's going to be a point where people aren't going to give a shit. I, I always go back to like um, Randy playing guitar to the kids in South Park. <laughs> Because they're playing, they're playing Guitar Hero. Yeah, and he's you like, st- you know, you know what, kids? I can actually play a lot of these songs <laughs> on a real guitar, and they just don't understand. They think it's like embarrassing and rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that there's a danger of that. So I think I, I don't want to keep things alive because of the the nostalgia. I want to keep things alive because they're fucking better. Yeah, on, to be, to, from my opinion, you know, I prefer things that are um, timeless. Yeah. I suppose it's it's that whole thing of like if it's if it's already stood the test of time, then yeah. you know it's a it's a good <laughs> product, it's a good thing, it's a good whatever. Yeah, because it's you know the they things are classic for a reason. Like you know the the whole um, like the the Coca Cola font has. <laughs> I, I know it's changed slightly over the years, but like that that um, that font on white in white on a red background is instantly recognizable. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things that's always going to kind of work for the company at least. It's um, iconic. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. I feel like, especially in the design world, um, that's, that's usually the goal that people strive for, right? Is to, to come up with the Nike swoosh. Mm-hmm. Something that is so instantly recognizable as the idea or the brand that it, it has stood the test of time and still recognizable and and instantly says what it needs to say when it comes to the stuff we use in the workshop or the products that we like or the you know furniture that we buy. I feel like it's a little... I don't know, Al, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like it's more difficult for people to continue doing the same thing as as like a product brand. Yeah. Rather than that overarching brand, say, say McDonald's, the Golden Arches, right? That's been around for as long as it's been around, but McDonald's not trying every 20 years to reinvent their logo. They're trying to make a new hamburger yeah. because they, they want to try and stay fresh and new and keep up with health regulations but as far as like a chair if you're a chair maker or a furniture maker in some capacity i think it is a constant battle for us to want to be able to make the thing that works over and over again and uh serves its purpose while also wanting to to push that creativity further and go oh i wonder if i can make a better version of this chair well what if people don't like that one because it doesn't work as well as the original what do you do then do you get stunted by the fact that you nailed it on your first go? It's the it's the lightning in the bottle problem, right? You get that one really golden idea, say for a logo or a design or a product that you're making, you nail it, but then people always kind of go, well, where do you go from there? Even if you become super successful in, in that one thing that you do, most people aren't comfortable just riding that for the rest of their 
days. You know, they're gonna they're going to want to try and find something to fill either that creative void or, um, you know, try and do it again. It's it's as much of a challenge to do that again, a second, third, fourth time. I think with design, it's tricky because, like, you know, you you're talking. Um, was it the Ames chair you were talking about the other week? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like that design is timeless and is still desirable now, regardless of the value of it. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it's obviously it's desirable because they're rare. Um, but you would probably argue that it's desirable because it's a beautiful design. Would would it be timeless if they'd have kept making them? No. Because like they would if, gotten... if they just kept making them and kept well, making them and turned them out and everyone had one, would it be considered timeless or would it be considered like, oh, let's move on? We've done that well, now. Is it only timeless it, because they stopped? I see, I, I think it, it like it being timeless, if if it had been <laughs> If it had kept being produced, if it still, um, if it still fitted with uh, with what was going on in the world at the moment, like and, and yeah, the, if it still looked or if it didn't look out of place, yeah, um, in a modern living room, then yeah, you could consider it to be timeless. Like if you get um, a, a, a modern IKEA based <laughs> living room, and I don't mean that in a in a nasty way, I just mean the fact that. The vast majority of uh, of housing now has that kind of yeah. look to it. If you if you imagine that kind of uh, room, and then you have some beautifully hand carved um, Victorian dresser stuck in the middle of it, it's it's going to look out of place. It's going to look, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to look wrong. So for so, me, so for me, the, the 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 modern IKEA thing though, that's just contemporary. Like yeah. There was probably people in the eighties thinking the stuff that they were designing at IKEA was modern, but you look yeah, back yeah. now and it's terrible. But that fucking Victorian dresser is still there, and still but, looks good, and is still relevant. So yeah, it's but, it's the fleeting things that are not relevant, whereas the timeless thing. But that, that's what I'm saying though is 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 that then uh, because it, like I, the the example I was trying to give, sorry, was the fact that that's going to look out of place and something that looks out of place, it's. It's not necessarily um, like I wouldn't consider that design to be timeless because it still looks out of place. Like to me, timeless is something that always appears to be relevant, always appears to be to to, to fit. Whereas um, something can be beautiful and desirable, and I could still yeah. want it, but I wouldn't necessarily consider it to be timeless. Well, in that in that in that example, then I think I think the place is what's out of place, not the Victorian dresser. So, like, if I if I walk into town in Leeds, like all the all the sort of eighteenth um, and eighteenth and nineteenth century architecture, the mills yeah. and stuff, and all the the Yorkshire sandstone, um, that's all timeless. And then I'll see a fucking nineteen seventies like office block or something that at the time somebody thought was yeah. really like this is going to be around forever and this is going to be groundbreaking yeah. and. Probably exa- had exactly the same mindset as the guy designing the thing 300 years earlier, but now it's out, out of place, and the place is still there, and everything else that fits is still there, and you can still have modern things around it. But the yeah. one thing that's sticking out is the thing that's only 30 years old. But then is that only sticking out because it's, it's... sticking out? Because it's fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but is it only sticking out because it's the oddity? It's like the whole. Uh, I think we talked about um, like brutalist architecture a little while back. Like, is is it only out of place because it's 
gone past the point of being modern, but it isn't quite at the point where it's considered uh, a, a classic or or, um, or a, a not fucking antique. What's the word for old architecture? Uh, anyway, rustic. Yeah, because yeah, not rustic. <laughs> uh, but because it, it because it's not. Um, it's not got to the point where it's looked at as being um, old in a in a nice way. It's look, looked at as being old in the fact that it's you know there's there's you, the the chances are there's still people around that were there when it was built. Yeah. Like it, so, I, so I was I was thinking about this the other day, right? So when I was a kid, classic cars and vintage cars were cars from like thirty years earlier. Yeah. So cars from the fifties and the sixties. So not even thirty years, twenty years earlier. Classic cars like an E-Type, AC fucking Cobra, you know, really fucking beautiful, classic, iconic cars, Jensen Interceptors, all these cars of like the 50s, 60s, 70s, classic cars, instantly recognizable, right? Now, a car from 30 years ago was like a fucking Vauxhall Astra. There's nothing classic about it. There's nothing iconic about it. It won't be remembered and nobody's keeping them on the road. So what what is the difference? Why is a car from 30 years from when I was a kid to a car from yeah. 30 years from now, one of them is an iconic thing which is timeless and is still going and people still drive Jags around and people still keep Things, it going. You say that, but then you've, you have got cars that are 30 years old that are considered to be classics. Like, like a Contash or something, but they, they, were like, they were not accessible. Yeah, but then neither was the E-Type to the... The general public, like the, well, and the, the, the Jensen was a Capri then, yeah. But the, like, all right, the the um, English cars with the, Brett, <laughs> the uh, oh fuck, the Escort uh, XR XR two XR two I, that's the one. But like stuff like that, Cosworth, is, yeah, the, yeah, you're fucking Cosworth. Okay, that that's a classic. That's beautiful. It's. The, the thing is, is back then when the E type was coming out, you, you know, the, you haven't got people that are like drooling over Ford Cort- Cortinas now. Like, it, there were still shit standard cars around, like all of the Leyland stuff, sort of thing. Like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> um, but but there was there was always those ones that were beautiful. I mean, I I had to write down a note about the E type because, like, that is it's a. It, it's got timeless beauty to it. Like it is a, one of the most iconic cars. And that's, that's where I was kind of like, Oh fuck, that's a good point. Like, how do you separate timeless from iconic? Like we, we talked about it with the the font as well. Like are those two things intertwined or are they completely separate things? Or is there this weird gray area again? And that's that, like, that's a genuine question. Cause I think you two are going to be far better place to answer that than, than me. I think, I think that's back to the education thing. So I think, iconic is like everyone gets it so like let's talk about burgers for change brett you talked about mcdonald's um they have iconic branding but they've they've had to do things over the years to kind of stay relevant you know in the uk they went from red and yellow to green and yellow to try and change health perceptions so mcdonald's was like green and yellow mm-hmm. um but a big mac still is shit. still, a, it's still shit. a big mac is a big mac is a big mac and it always has been and it always will be so yeah. that is timeless. Like whether it's delicious, I don't know. Maybe they have nicer burgers. Maybe they don't. But that is timeless. Yeah, it's been around for fifty years, and will be around for another fifty years. So 
it doesn't necessarily mean that something has to be good. It's just that it's memorable. People want it. It ain't going away. So, with with something like that, would you? Because like, like I, if, if if it got to a point where the burger, you know, a Big Mac wasn't relevant anymore because everybody likes artisan burgers or everybody likes fresh ground beef, and you know, like, yeah. it could very easily have just died out because nobody wants it anymore, like Blockbuster. But it didn't. Yeah. So why is it? Why is Big Mac still fucking going? Yeah. So, like, because one of the things that I, as we're talking, was coming to head, like, uh, coming into my head, was the fact that most of the things that we consider to be timeless tend to be um, quite simplistic. They they, they don't go for uh, like uh, it, you know, some, someone's got an idea and they go with that idea, and they're not too worried about the um, the fashion at the time for whether that's the food yeah. fashion, the the um, the advertising fashion, the, <laughs> the whatever. Like it, it's it's just I have this idea, I want to do it. So you've got like say like like the Big Mac. It's like right, I want a burger that's just a bit more than just. I mean, a burger itself is is fucking timeless because yeah, yeah it, it's going to be one of those things that's going to be eaten for years and years and years. Um, but like. Can you think of any examples where something's um, like overly, not overly complex, but something that's really complex that is considered timeless? Or, or does it come down to it being, or are timeless things usually simple. more simple? By their very nature. Right. Simple, simple is difficult. And <clears throat> how I learned that in the going through design school where simple design does not mean easy design. And um, m- there might be an argument to be made in that direction, Steve, because I'm I'm trying to roll through examples and stuff in my head of like things that are a little bit more complex that I would consider timeless. But honestly, there might be a good argument for simplicity, well-executed simplicity, whether it's a a physical product or something like branding. Uh, I always had a harder time going with with simple, like good, clean execution. Simple, not overcomplicated, but yeah. but executed to the highest capacity, right? So even the Eames chair, to use the example again, is leather upholstery, which had been done before. Uh, the bent plywood or the <coughs> steam bent plywood was a little new uh, in terms of the way that they were actually getting the forms and shapes. But, you know, bending wood had been done for years and years and years. <laughs> Adding an ottoman, would that be considered like a bell and whistle? That's just having a footrest, you know, so you can really lay back in it. But other than that, maybe that's maybe that's one of the reasons that it really speaks to me is because it's, it's beautifully done yeah. craftsmanship. But, but really, it, at the end of the day, it is a chair and a footrest just done to a very, very high fine-tuned degree. Yeah. And yeah, not I mean, made out of materials that are worth tens of thousands of dollars. It's like, yeah, the chairs are expensive, but really, like, it's bent plywood, so don't feel horrible if you <laughs> put a scratch in it, maybe. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I just want to preface this with the fact that um, I asked that question with a point that I want to go on to after I've kind of heard uh, your thoughts on it, but I think I think you're right there. Right? I think like I don't think adding a a, a footrest is uh, considered 
complex because the design aesthetic is still really nice and simple. Well, it's a recliner in two pieces. Like people got into recliners. They're like, look, I can pull this lever and then the foot thing comes out. Yeah. You want to be able to lay back, maybe take a nap in your chair. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, Al, I, I'd love to hear if you have anything that's popping out in, in your head, either in the design world or or physical product stuff. But I'm kind of having trouble thinking of something that's like oh, very overtly complex and yeah. complicated, but still timeless. So I was rather appropriately thinking of like a watch or like a Rolex or something, which underneath is incredibly complex, but on the outset is actually a really simple thing. Um, this, the, the classic Swiss watch, I can't remember the brand, but you know, the, like the, the clocks at Swiss watch. Is it Swatch? <laughs> Fucking Swatch. Yeah. Um, the clocks at, um, Swiss train stations. They, yeah. al- they also make the, the wristwatch version. Of yeah. It. Um, sm- beautifully simple design timeless classic but you know underneath it's a complex fucking swiss watch mechanism um so again it's back to the kind of the know-how and the knowledge like do you really care about what went into it if it if the if the end result is simple so what you were saying steve about like understanding like typefaces in a design like yeah there's that there's there's that group of people that really appreciate the complexity and the the craft and everything that went into it, but there's also the people who, and which is the majority of people, which is why something lasts forever because it takes a lot of people. Yeah, is just the simplicity. I think I think that's something we've unlocked through talking through is that that is what makes something timeless. And I think beyond design and beyond like actual consumables, process, timeless processes, it's the simple ones that win out. Yeah. You know, if something is overly complicated or requires machinery that's too fucking complex and things can go wrong, it ain't going to last. So heating up some fucking charcoal in order to move some metal around is fucking timeless. Yeah. Because uh, it's I, simple. I love that. I love that. Putting it down to the process, though. And I know we, I know we kind of talked about this in some previous episodes in terms of like some of the old machines and heritage when we were talking about the heritage stuff. Hmm. Um I love this example, though, as as more of an umbrella statement, because I think we are all appreciators of process and um, font fonts specifically going through typography classes. Like you look at them on a on a diagram on like a sectioned out diagram and, and it's in full analytical view of proportions and, hmm. you know, the the uppers have to go here and the descenders have to go here and it has to be exactly 0.00 of this thing and whatever. But at the end of the day, Helvetica is a font that everybody has used (laughs) and most people recognize. Yeah. Because regardless of the process that went into it, it is mathematically great. If you look at it on a diagram, the design that went into it and, and the thought process that went into designing helvetica standard is pretty great whether or not you like the font is kind of doesn't matter because it's gonna get used a lot more for a long time there's there's reasons why people can look at comic sans and you make so much of a silly goof about (laughs) comic sans because even on uh even on a design like scaled out graft paper whatever it it still looks like shit so i don't really care what you can do to it (laughs) 
I don't like it if you're even going to try and break it down for like, oh, but it's very nuanced in the way that the kerning is handled between these letters. Like, it's never going to work out for me. And it's why it became more of a joke than anything. As as you go into the products, Al, I was thinking of cars because, I mean, obviously you guys have been talking about cars, but I think the the body shapes and some of the interiors, the stuff we see is what people put a lot of appreciation into versus what's going on under the hood. You you are always going to have your, uh, you can't really call them like subcultures because they are massive, but car culture people know what engine is in what car on oh, what yeah. chassis on what wheels like those guys really know everything that they're talking about when it comes to these classic cars that are considered timeless but i think when you talk about something like a watch or a vehicle or a piece of furniture most people like you were saying with the fonts the majority of people see these things whatever the end execution whatever process led to that end execution if it can visually be seen quickly, be recognizable, that's what those 75 to 80% of people are going to understand. Something like a, a classic Shelby. Yeah. Like, I'm not a huge Mustang guy, but the Shelby has just like the curves of that. <laughs> you, you, you're not going to think of another vehicle that just maybe Porsche back in the day when they were doing the road, roadsters and stuff, but there was an era that existed with all of these really curvy cars and like an old stingray, you know, it's called yeah. stingray. It has this big swoop on the front <laughs> fenders and everything. Like these iconic shapes are what speaks to somebody like me yeah. because I'm a more visual person. And I don't know a lot about cars and what's going on in the engine, but I think, I, I think the majority of the people that are going to see those iconic or timeless things are looking at, um, pleasing shapes, pleasing colors, pleasing like visual experience yeah. with it. The I mean, sound I, of a Mustang when it fires up. <laughs> I, I think, like, um, I, I, just, I, I will circle back to the the simple thing in a sec. But I think, like, don't call me that. For for, for me, simple I, Jack. I think that the the way that we're talking about the, at the moment, especially with the with the cars, for example, I think that's again i think we're going into kind of gray territory because I, I don't think of um a lot of these as being necessarily timeless i think they're very much of their time like the e-type i fucking love and it is genuinely one of the most beautiful cars ever made but it is very of its time the same with the the mustangs the same with the cobras the same with everything else there and and i think that's where it becomes an iconic car rather than a yeah. uh, something that's timeless i can um, agree with it so um, tell you what I'll, I'll I'll raise you one then, Steve. Unless it's exactly what you're going to say. Lift the bonnet. What about yeah. something like the Rover V8? Oh yeah, yeah. So that's again, not that's not about how it looks. That's just no. something that. But again, that's an iconic engine. Timeless. Yeah, but it's it. Not in the I, way that not in the way that a car shape is iconic. It yeah. just fucking worked and was simple yeah. and did but, everything you wanted to do and had multiple applications. So it was timeless in that. Its function was timeless, but I don't. I don't think that's necessarily true because now you know a Rover V8. Now, unless you're a, a, a petrol head, I mean, I I say this as someone that's got one in the garage at the moment. Like, <laughs> I, it's unless you're a petrol head, it's it doesn't like the the purpose. Yeah, but that was really that, that's, you know that's that's global warming and, and fossil fuels have put an end yeah. to the Rover V8, not the Rover V8. 
Yeah, but but the the point being that again, it, it's about the the thing being um, an iconic engine. It's not a timeless mm. engine because we've now got to the point where actually there are because the timing's off. That, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've got engines that far outperform it. So you know you you can't really call it um, timeless. But um, but yeah, I, I just the, I, one of the other questions I wanted to ask, which is completely um uh self-absorbed is because <laughs> because that's how i am um so we were talking about the simple things and um, one of the comments we always get about the the forged kitchenware stuff is the fact that we we make sure that everything we make is functional first and then aesthetically pleasing but everything is very very simple we don't put you know fancy twists and things like that in it you know any any little highlights like on the, the new pans, the handles are very simple. And the only real bit of flair is the fact that we're using copper rivets as opposed to just a steel rivet, like mm-hmm. that little touch of, of something different. Um, the skewers, for example, they're very, very simple um, in, in terms of, of the actual overall design and, and pretty much everything we, uh, we produce goes to that kind of um, that, that very simple kind of aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I would consider to be kind of timeless because you could take that and you could put that a hundred years ago and it would still look good. It would still work. Um, and you could put it, I, I say this, you could put it a hundred years from now and I think it would still work. But do you think that there is a, um, <laughs> a, a minimum age for something to be considered timeless? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, a, a, a design of something like do you think that you know if i was to produce something tomorrow um, i'd be like oh this is the most perfect bottle opener in the world this is <laughs> going to be a timeless design yeah like i i would i would struggle to accept that or i would i would struggle to accept it if someone said to me oh that's a timeless design unless it had been around for a while so the just swinging back to the design thing brett and you you know you brought up like the nike swoosh and stuff and that's come. That's something that oh, even Steve, the the Coca Cola um, wordmark, like that is something I hear every fucking day. Clients are like, "I want something iconic. I want something iconic, like the 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 Nike swoosh." It's like that only became iconic over time. Mm-hmm. They didn't design that, put it on a fucking pair of running shoes, and it was suddenly yeah. iconic. There's no such thing. So iconic is distinct and memorable over time. And I think if you add in that facet of simplicity that we're talking about, that's yeah. how you get something iconic. Um, for it to be timeless, I don't know what that time frame is. I would say it's relative, but, you know? Yeah. Like, the work of Beethoven is timeless. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if the work of Fleetwood Mac is timeless. <laughs> I've not been alive long enough to know if they're going to be listening to that in 300 years. Like, right, they yeah. are Beethoven. But, I can't, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'd, it, like to th- I'd like to think there will be. Yeah, because I think that was that was kind of the question, is it's it's very easy to consider something to be timeless just because it's survived for 20 or 30 years. But yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, like the world is, is changing faster now than it ever has done in the past, but it's still only 20 or 30 years, you know? I, th- I, think, I, think, that, that's, I think that's why it's relative, you know, like fashion 
300, 400, 500 years ago was, you know, was bracketed by the length of a, a, a monarch's reign. <laughs> you know, yeah. we talk about like Georgian houses and, and Elizabethan dress. It's like now we go through like trends that last not even a year. Yeah. And that's yeah. through everything. That's through design. That's through food. That's through, you know, so we're, we're so kind of um, ever changing that it's, it would be impossible for something to be timeless now, I think. I think. I think it's interesting to see what's coming back on the the thirteen or sixteen year swing, though, Al. Especially from from a design standpoint, because, well, come to think of it, you know, fashion, certain things in fashion are coming back around, and there are certain kind of products that have an aesthetic from things back in like eighties, early nineties, right now, and that that swing happens a lot. It yeah. at least for the last hundred years or so, uh, that was another thing learned in design school where certain <laughs> trends. If they if they may not run forever, but they they seem to get picked up in a correct manner, or they they seem to have some type of value to them, they come back around. Yeah, and it's when whatever age you were when you started to have a memory and understand a little bit about the world, maybe like ten to fifteen, and then you grow up and have maybe a little bit of expendable income. It's that 13 to, to 15, 16 year swing that comes back around because now those people that are 30, 35 yeah. want the stuff from the 80s with yeah. that shitty remember, old airbrush. Remember Lion King? Yeah. And yeah. And like Disney's like, oh, the Lion King is for yeah. a timeless movie. Let's make yeah. another one. Or you could just leave it with the original <laughs> one, which was beautifully hand drawn and amazing. Or Cats. Cats could have oh, stayed on Broadway. Christ. But you had to go and make digital cat faces, and it's, <laughs> it's weird. Just the worst. Talk about Uncanny Valley, like at the beginning of this episode, oh. Al. I just saw uh, there's a there's a YouTube channel that I follow called Corridor Digital. I met a few of the guys when I was working at my last job, and they're a bunch of young CG and and computer effects guys. Uh, I didn't realize they'd been doing this, but they're doing VFX artist breakdowns of like certain movies and stuff where they just go in and they either talk about how good they are or maybe talk about oh, how shit they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did Cats when Cats released yeah. the trailer and they were just like, no, what I is saw going that. on? Have you seen the but, one they but did the of, thing is uh, they were able to analyze it and say like, but look how good Dame Judi Dench is. If you just look at it from the perspective yeah. of how good she looks is like we made J- Dame Judi Dench a cat. <laughs> like it's dead on. It just is fucking off putting. And then they did the Scorpion King. Oh yeah, they redid, <laughs> yeah, they redid his face. I think uh, Ren. I think Ren, one of the younger chaps, might have redone the genie, Will Smith's genie thing. Ah, nice. And he was just like, "This took me 15 minutes, and it already looks 100 <laughs> times better." <laughs> like, oh boy. But I'm I'm interested in this idea of like, um, whatever these trends are, we we haven't been around long enough to see if these trends keep coming back, and if yeah when do they stop being a trend and start being something that's a little bit more timeless? Even if it's popping its head up once every 20 or so years, like it, is it a trend at that point or does it, is it standing the test of time? Well, yeah, or is because, it just because in another, in another 30 years, they're not going to make another remake of it, are they? There's not going to be, the, you know, it, you say that they probably will. Well, no, I don't know. It's not Godzilla. Yeah. But that's what I'm wondering. Well, that's what I'm wondering because these, these trends, these these trends that started popping back up didn't happen until like the 50s and 60s when think of the atomic era stuff that was going around in America in the 60s. Mm. 
like that came back around because those kids that grew up at that time started to get a little bit of money and income, did the American dream thing, bought a white pig fence house, and then wanted to wear bowling shirts with, you know, like radioactive signs on them and all kinds of garbagey crap like that. Like, it, I don't know if that's going to keep coming back around, but the 1960s era of America and the aesthetics that came out of it maybe won't be a trend because there were some fashion things and some um, furniture and and design aesthetics that came out of that, that might come back around. Now I think the outskirt stuff is going to be the trendy things, bowler shirts and beehive haircuts and all that kind of stuff. But are we going to continue to see certain like the really overused term of mid-century modern that kind of came out of that 20 year span I think certain things that were developed in that time are are standing the test of time, but we don't equate that with being part of that era. We just something has to break out of that trend or era to become timeless in my mind. That, that's the thing that goes back to what we were saying earlier on: the fact that a something that's timeless, you you look at it and it's it's not defined by the period in which it. Ah, okay, came yeah, that's right. You said that. That's good. It's good. It's good. It it it, it is its own thing. It it, it stands outside of that that time period and it can be placed yeah. in any other time period and not not appear out of place ah okay so so swiss army knife yeah or like a like <laughs> a camera example. do you know again okay. I, I don't pick up a Leica and go like you would steve with a classic car and go this is from the fucking 1960s yeah because i think again it's back to it's been simple yeah um fender stratocaster yeah, another great. It doesn't example. look like it's from the fifties. It doesn't look like a rock and roll, great big, you know, acoustic guitar that dates. It look, it just looks classic. It look, you know, um, I, I think, I think it's simple, and I think simplicity yeah. is the answer to it. But yeah. I don't, know, I don't know the answer to the time frame. I don't know how long it is, and I, <laughs> I do think it's relevant, Steve, because I think you're right. I think as time goes on, we're moving faster. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what would have been around for a hundred years? previously is now around for two years yeah because <laughs> and we're just non-stop and you know we've all got add yeah so would you and, say that it's it's like the time and the relative dimension in space yes <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> um but yeah i mean that, that's the thing is that i think like you say like that that whole simplistic thing is is key and and I think the the idea of timeless and iconic, I think the two are connected. Um, but I think they are separate entities. I think it's just, it's sometimes easy to confuse one with the other. And I think um, the, there, I, there, there is no kind of like definite way that you can say this is iconic, this is timeless other than waiting a hundred years <laughs> and seeing if it's still relevant. Right. Like, like, I mean, you, you look at, you, you're talking about furniture designs. Like you look at like uh shaker style furniture, like that's timeless because it, it's, it started fucking how many years ago and it's still around. It's still in use. It's still, um, it's not necessarily the, the fashionable, thing at the moment but it's still something that's that's yeah. very common but it, it wasn't over the top it wasn't on yeah. you know it wasn't yeah. trying too hard to be mid-century modern which was kind of trying to break the mold and trying to be yeah. you know cutting edge almost literally like with everything about it was trying to disrupt 
And that's why I don't think yeah. that that is timeless. It's trendy yeah, and it's that, fashionable and will go in and out. Yeah. Yeah, but I and, can't. And, and I think that's one of the. I, I, it's tough for me to look at something like uh, the furniture that's referred to or the aesthetic that's referred to uh, by using mid century modern. Mm. It's it's thrown around so widely that it rarely is speaking to very specific products. No. It's, it's yeah. the overall aesthetic, which is yeah. obviously what we're kind of talking about is more like singular item or singular thought process driven. Like something like a watch. You just get to go watch. <laughs> and you yeah. uh, you obviously know exactly what that is and what it looks like and what it means to be a timeless watch design. Yeah. If you yeah. say a mid-century modern table, <laughs> like tell me one immediately and what it looks like. Because either they all got, look the same it's or... definitely got fucking tapered legs. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like hairpin legs. <laughs> even like, even on from that, like you look at, um, I know uh, we didn't actually talk about it, but Al said about... Um, like Land Rovers being uh, like hinting at the fact that they might be timeless. But I don't, again, I don't think they are. I think they're, they're iconic, even though the Land Rover has been around for the last uh, 70 ish years. years. Um, like, and a design has, has changed, but it's still stayed fairly similar. And, and, you know, if you can put a silhouette of a, of one of the very first Land Rovers next to a silhouette of, uh, one of the last um, series of defenders, and you can you can see the similarities there. You can yeah. see the pedigree through it, but I don't think it's it's timeless because I think, like I said, probably stop making you, them. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, I, if you were to to put that in a hundred years in the future, or if you were to put that hundred years in the past, it would obviously in the past it would look out of place. But yeah, if you were to put that in a different time zone, it would it would look out of place. Like even now. If you see an old Land Rover driving around, it looks out of place, and I think that that's one of the things for me is whether well, it doesn't lead to city centre anyway. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's whether something looks out of place in even if it's just ten years down the line. If it looks out of place, then I, I don't think you can consider, consider it to be timeless. I was having this thought when Al was talking about the Fender, the guitar. And then you said it again with the the silhouette, but that that's what comes to mind is when you're talking about the simplicity or these these timeless things is like challenge somebody to draw the thing, yeah, or or have a piece of music play on on whatever music playing device you've got. But I guarantee if if a classical piece of music comes up, even somebody that doesn't really listen to a lot of music or may not know classical composers will probably rattle off five or six people, just names that they know. Is it Beethoven? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but it's good that you know who that is because that yeah, person yeah, stood yeah. the test of time. If you tell somebody to draw a guitar, even if they're a shitty artist, it'll probably end up looking like a Fender, like the silhouette of a Fender, yeah. just because that's been so ingrained in just like what a guitar is. A guitar mm-hmm. is that. And so this idea of simplicity just as a challenge it's like now i'm going through my head and just looking at silhouettes of things because you don't even get the detail i i just get to see an outline sketch yeah or or it's like bringing up the table thing again if you just did a flat line and then hairpin legs you you, i don't know what you'd be able to walk away from that you're like i don't know it's a flat bit of wood on top of some something that's got an open space in the middle like it is a hairpin leg but if you don't talk to somebody that knows 
exactly what that term means or exactly what the aesthetic is referring to, that might not be as timeless and recognizable as we all think, because even in that simplistic form, it's still not instantly recognizable. Yeah. But then like, I think it, I, again, I think that that bleeds so easily into something being iconic because picking up the, the example of the E-type again, like the E-type silhouette is instantly bang. You can see it. Yeah. But I don't consider that to be timeless. Yes. That's when that silhouette is a bit gray. Yeah. (laughs) I see what you did there. Very clever. Um, No, honestly, I I agree with you on that, Steve. It's, It's difficult to, like you said earlier, it's very difficult to put them in on one side or the other of the fence, right? Yeah. Like when something, even if it's spent 20, 30 years going through our culture, it may still just be considered iconic. You keep bringing yeah. up the cars and the E-type thing. The first thing that jumped out to me was the Lotus from the James Bond movie. The oh, scuba, yeah, yeah, yeah. scuba car. When, yeah. the, when that Lotus came out, it like floored people. They were like, oh my yeah. God, this, look at this future car. This is a... This is a future car. It's going to fly next. You know, it goes underwater and all these things. That is iconic because it was in a James Bond movie. And there are car collectors out there that want like that era of crazy Lotus thing. But like that yeah. is a That is a ridiculous, ridiculous vehicle. Yeah. And the lines on it are really recognizable. It looks like a transformer. <laughs> There's like literally lines on it. It looks like yeah. it can come apart. Yeah. Yes. But uh, but I think I think that's the thing is is something can be uh, timeless or it's a timeless thing can be iconic, but an iconic thing just because it's iconic well doesn't played. yeah doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's timeless well as well. Very well. Um, and like I said, I think I think the two are separate, and I think they're very separate things. But I think there is um, there's room for some crossover, and I think there's room for some intertwining yeah it's a venn diagram yeah which which just means that things are uh it it becomes very complex and 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 hard to define but that means that we can then have discussions like this and talk for an hour on nothing and and the fact i'm gonna gonna save steve from his long segue into spiffing (laughs) i interrupted him (laughs) Uh, uh, oh, I think you're actually going to say something. All right, no, were you actually trying to segue into spiffing? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I feel like you times. should totally edit it to where he's like, I'm going to take Steve from a long thing and then just cut it right after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say there's one quick win, which I think we've not talked about, which I think covers all those camps, and it's things like tools. So an like, anvil. An anvil is fucking timeless. A, like a, a, just a simple... Swedish pattern or French cross peen, you know, like something that's like iconic, timeless. You can yeah. recognize the silhouette, but it's not, it's not of a, it's not of a decade. It's not, you don't look at it and go, yeah. oh, that's a 1950s hammer. Yeah. You look at it and go, that hammer could be 200 years old for all I know. Yeah. Exactly. You know, within reason. But, but I think tools, you know, a panel saw, um, all these things that are like, you know, yeah. considered classic well, think- hand tools. I think one of the reasons that they are like a a fucking chisel, like a saw, like I think one of the reasons why these things are timeless and can be considered timeless is because 
their their function comes before their form. Like their mm. ev- every curve, every straight line, every angle is on there for a specific reason. Mm. Like they're they're again, it comes down to what I was saying about like the the, the kitchenware stuff. It's it's function before form, but not um, it's not function at the um, cost of form. Yeah. It's just the function comes for first, and then if if you can make it pretty, make it pretty. <laughs> but like, yeah. So I, I think that's that's a really good point to make, and I think that's a really good point to end on. And I think now we should uh, segue really nicely into the spiffing. <laughs> Uh, you merely adopted the dark. I was born uh, from it. Yeah. Uh, have we got an order? Yeah, as a... As a... Oh, I'm Which means now. Al is going first, even though Brett was still talking. Classic. Classic Brett. Timeless. Okay. Al, this is where so, you talk. You didn't do okay so, so I can't Ah, uh, fuck it. Okay so, go. Um, my spiff is somebody who kind of celebrates the opposite of timelessness um and that is a channel called tech moan i don't know if you've come across it but basically he gets um technology from the past sort of 50 years that's basically died of death and does no longer no longer exist so things like mini disc which was a fantastic format um video on vinyl and i don't mean laser disc i mean films on vinyl nice. um are two examples of things he does but he's like you know he'll he'll hunt down the last existing still manufactured uh cassette walkmans that they still make and it's yeah. like why are people still making tape decks uh, but they are um, and his whole channel is sort of dedicated to these uh, archaic formats and technologies some of it's beautiful some of it's stupid um but it's just really interesting and i love watching it so tech moan exactly as how it sounds one word noise uh i We'll check that out. Um, sorry, I, I paused because I was having a conversation with someone about tapes the other day, and it's completely unrelated to this. <laughs> uh, Brett, you're next. Wait, is it as of no as of that's me, Steve. Me? Steve me. is is, is uh, Steve. Uh, which means it's me. Uh, who am I? I am spiffing uh, someone that I talked about earlier on. Um, Nick Weston, uh, the hunter gatherer cook. Um, because he, what he does is timeless. It's something that has has been done since humans were first around. We since we first became hunters and gatherers. Uh, hence him being called the hunter gatherer cook. Um, and it's still done today. It's still it's actually kind of coming back in vogue again now. Um, and uh, it's what he does is. Uh, it's really simple back to basics, much like we were talking about earlier on, like just keeping things simple, but just because something's simple doesn't mean it can't be beautiful. doesn't mean it can't be tasty. Um, tasty. He's, <laughs> he's very much uh, like w- when he was butchering the deer, for example, it, it wasn't um, about like, Oh, you must cut it like this and you must get it like that. And you must go three centimeters from the spine and do this. It was just, <laughs> Have a feel, see what feels right, see where the muscle actually ends and cut it there sort of thing. Yep. Um, That's the way to do it. Obey yeah. the grain. Exactly. 
Uh, I mean, obviously, it's probably not uh, for the particularly squeamish, um, <laughs> but he, Nick himself, is is a great guy. He's, um, he's yeah, just a, a very talented, um, super friendly bloke um, who does some really nice food and stuff. <laughs> and I was just about to hand over to Brett, but yeah, there I'm he right is. Here. What are you talking about? Definitely didn't go off camera. No. Uh, Brett. Yes. Who are you spiffing? I am specifically spiffing someone for a specific reason. God, that's no. terrible. <laughs> uh, so our our everyone's favorite dingus, Mike Montgomery, has been attacking concrete and making like, weird <clears throat> river tables and stuff out of it. Anyway, he posted a picture the other day and it he did something that it was like a nice challenge to to what we've seen as as popular as he is and the big following and he's he's doing really well as a young man. He he does a lot of, you know, DIY and mid-century modern and very clean lines and things. But he broke a piece of concrete in half specifically to make it like a live edge or like a river table. And instead of doing what his initial thought was, uh, which was filling the, the break after separating, like filling the break with some clear epoxy, he just left it completely open, which was a beautiful execution. And then when he posted it uh, the other day, he he just went, you know, that's kind of what everybody would would have expected me to do. And honestly, I think it looks great. Um, and yeah, just I don't know, like I know I know I personally harp on a little bit about the like epoxy river tables. It's just not really my thing. I feel like maybe based on the the episode, maybe I don't feel like that's such a timeless design because I'm I'm not sure how epoxy is going to hold up a hundred years from now. Um, but for him to specifically make this choice, which, which to me felt very like, uh, out of the blue, it it felt like something very different for him to do. And he's like challenging his own established aesthetics or established design style. And to just do this was really, really nice to see because he's, he's still young enough. He's got tons of years ahead to make all the things that he wants to make. But getting into it really early on with this modern, mid-century modern aesthetic, this is, to me, this is him challenging not only himself, but the people that follow and view him to say, like, you don't always have to do it the way you see it. And sometimes it's about, I I wrote my comment back, I think it was an Eric Clapton quote, but um, I said, sometimes it's the notes you don't play. I think it was Eric Clapton, but like for him to not... Lisa Simpson. Shut (laughs) up. (laughs) <laughs> I I thought it was a really really nice I don't know challenging of himself and and maybe challenging of like kind of the status quo that's been developed up yeah. to this point and and for him to just totally endorse it himself I, I feel like it was super super healthy and I just like seeing stuff like that especially out of guys that are are doing really well for themselves and have a way of you know they have a little bit of a platform to speak on I feel like their followers are very in tune with the aesthetics and the what they say is the right thing or the thing that I have to do to make it like they do. And for him to just say, screw it, I didn't want to. I think it looks great like this. <laughs> I like it. So to the dingus, 
Nice. He is spiffy. Good shout. Um, uh, and just to pre-warn anybody that does go and check out, or anybody that doesn't know Mike that goes and checks out his videos, uh, if you do like I did and just click on his uh, his website, he starts every video very energetically and can make you jump if you're not paying attention. Yeah, get ready for someone young and enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, bless him. He he's just one of those people that I just want to kind of give a hug. Dude, um, he will give he will give the best hug. <laughs> he loves hugs. Mike loves hugs. He also yeah. likes uh pastel pink shorty shorts. <laughs> it's like his favorite his favorite thing. Shorty shorts and a white t shirt. Brilliant. Um He's a beautiful boy. Have we got any other business? Everyone's excited for Steve's class. Steve's class. In a couple of months. Yay. And I will say, uh, just as a reminder for my own sake, um, Chris Cash is doing the class that was otherwise canceled. So I, I oh, mentioned yes. it on the last podcast, but if anybody out there is interested in the the ornate blacksmithing class, it was going to be a structural blacksmithing class. I think we may have taken it off the website, but now it's... It's back on, and Chris Cash, everyone's favorite little boy, is going to be teaching that October 4th, 3rd, 4th, 5th, whenever around there. It's on Jimmy's website. Um, Chris is an amazing human, so if anybody was interested in uh, taking any of the classes up here and kind of eyeballing, I don't know if that got taken down, but just know it's back up. Come and hang out with Chris. Meet the guy Um, we always talk about. Yeah, and if anybody wants to pay for my ticket to go to that class then well like you can take off a week early and then stay and then teach a class yeah okay yeah yeah if anybody (laughs) out there wants to do that (laughs) that would be fantastic uh other than that is there any other business no no i i have i have one little bit uh which is i got back today and i felt rubbish i had a very long week i slept in a van i say slept very loose term not really business uh, is it sorry it's not really business it is all right because i was on business <laughs> dickhead uh <laughs> slept in the back of the van came back was in a kind <laughs> kind of a shitty mood wasn't feeling particularly energetic or happy or anything like that and uh oh and no watched... shit we couldn't tell at the beginning yeah go fuck yourself uh and i watched the maker monsters latest video and instantly felt completely refreshed even though the well yeah watch the video because peanut butter in a apple's mouth <laughs> <laughs> like those little songs just it made me so happy i i, I love him so much mm-hmm. um and yeah, if you're not subscribed to the Maker Monster, then what are you doing with your life? Uh, right. If you want to find us, you can find us in all of the usual social media places. Social social media places. Uh, you can find me at Moonshine Metalworks. You can find Brett at Skull and Spade Thirteen, and you can find Al at Al's Hack Shack. Al's Hack Shack now recently reinstated into the YouTube Partner Program. Yay! Yay! Woo-hoo! <laughs> uh, and if you want to find us as a group, you can find us at fwtpodcast.com on Instagram at 
podcast you can see all of our wonderful thumbnails they really are the best part of this podcast apart from the uh, latest one isn't working on the fuzzle tools website for some reason oh yeah john told me about that i've not i was in a field when he told me and i can't fix it on my phone so i will do that now because i've forgotten um what was the thing oh yeah were uh, you a doorman the facebook group uh go check out the facebook group there are lots of lovely people in there it's it's kind of a timeless atmosphere in there answer the fucking questions or you're not coming in yeah yeah answer the fucking questions guys it's not it's not difficult like if you want a computer to get to facebook you can answer a question uh right i think that's it then isn't it is that it that's it yeah in it cool right love you guys bye, bye.